We're kicking off a new series today in the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. So if you have a Bible or an app on your phone, get it out, turn it on, let the warm glow of God's Word uh, infiltrate your face. And uh, I uh, don't get to do what my forefathers did and listen to the sweet rustle of the Bible's pages as you all turn there because I am a product of the digital age. So I'm a little bit bitter about that, but I'm going to get over it. But um, it's a... The book of Psalms is an interesting book because it is one of the oldest books that we have. Not the oldest, but one of the oldest. And uh, it was compiled as a songbook. A songbook that the Hebrews, the Jews, would sing to their Lord, that they would worship to. And uh, they were the, the Psalms are not in chronological order. They're, they're in order of how the compilers thought that we needed to read them and sing them. And so we're going to start with Psalm 1 because it was specifically placed there for our instruction and for our wisdom. While it's poetry and song, the book of Psalms, uh, this first one, and even chapter 2, if you want to go and read that for your own uh, study this week, are together as an instruction in wisdom as we begin to worship God. And so what I want to do today is set up this series in Psalms and, and look at the two choices that you already know that you have. That every day when you get out of your bed and you put your feet on the ground, you have a choice to make. Am I going to live for God or am I going to live for myself? Uh, the Bible would call it this way. I can be righteous or I can be wicked. Now you may think that that is harsh. That you could perhaps fall somewhere in the middle and uh, not be a bad person and just be a decent person, an average person. But God would look at you and say this, I would rather vomit you out of my mouth than have you not make a choice. To not make a choice is to make a choice. So what we want to set before you today is just the Word of God. And I just want to walk through chapter 1 and allow it to teach us. Allow it to seep into the cracks of your heart and let God, the Holy Spirit, change you and change me. It's an incredible book, and I'm looking forward to studying it. But as we get started in chapter 1, um, as I was thinking about this, it's until most recently that culture itself has valued the past. Wisdom was seen as something that was accumulated over time. And we certainly see that, that uh, there's been a certain evolution of what we are capable of as humans. Like, just look at technology, where we've come in just a few hundred years as compared to our ancestors. Uh, and so we have made what is an illusion of progress, right? You'd agree with that. We have iPads, we have computers, we have screens, we have all this technology. Um, but it's recently that there's been a shift, and recently I mean historically speaking recently, it may be a few years in your lifetime, but mine, 
but historically speaking, recently there's been a shift towards uh, empirical investigation and human reason being the definition of wisdom. That if I can investigate it, or if I can reason it out logically, then it is true. But what's the problem with that? <coughs> Who is the barometer of truth then? You are. And that scares me. <laughs> and if I'm the barometer of truth, you ought to be scared. True? Amen. Everybody say true. Yeah. Okay? I'll give you that, one answer, that answer for you. That was even easier than saying Jesus in church to every answer. Right? Because there are some things that we just know. And yet, our culture has staked all of itself on this idea. Tim Keller asked this question. Okay? Tim Keller asked this question. I want you to ask it of yourself. I want you to ask it of yourself. How are we doing? How are we doing? Because at the end of the day, what are we trying to be? Happy. We're all trying to be happy. And now there are exceptions to that where those of us who follow Christ or um, are sacrificing our lives in some way have figured out that there's more to life than just the pursuit of happiness. But what do we even call it? We call it the American dream, right? The, the freedom, freedom to pursue life, liberty, and <coughs> happiness. Right? And so we all know that in our mind, but I want you to flesh that down into your heart. Are we happier than our ancestors? I think that we can make the case that we're not. That with all of the advancement, uh, we perhaps are even less happy. So what, what I want to do today is look at what the Bible lays out as the way to happiness. As the way to happiness. Because what do we what do we know? That the in the playing field of life, sin levels the playing field, doesn't it? You know, I think one of the most famous quotes was I think by Rockefeller or something, and they asked him how much money is enough? And his answer was just a little bit more. Because the idea of something on this earth truly making you happy is an elusive thing. You never actually arrive at being satisfied. And Psalm 1 is going to lay out for us why that is. Why we can't find happiness. So how can you and I be happy? Uh, maybe you could think of it this way. We've heard this phrase and it's been abused in the church culture today. But what is the blessed life? What is the blessed life? Look at Psalm 1 as it starts here. And uh, it makes that statement right off the bat. Right at the beginning of Psalms, uh, they specifically chose this one under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for this to be the opening gate to the Psalter. So all of Psalms, and what many theologians believe, is the gateway to the entire Bible. 
that these instructions in Psalm 1 open the gate into the Bible and into knowing God. So, so here's what it starts out with. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. At a fundamental human level, I believe that all of us are searching for that. And if you look around our world, we all try to fill that void with something. There's a, an old dead guy named Blaise Pascal, and he said that every human being has a God-shaped hole in their heart, and that we all try to fill it with something. And that the only people who truly find satisfaction are those that find Christ. And we believe that here. But Psalm 1 is going to lay out for us why. It says, blessed is the man who does what? Who walks not. We're going to get the negative and then we're going to get the positive. Okay? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sin, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And let's stop there. Because the, the very first thing that we see is that in this pursuit of happiness, there are three areas of your life that come under attack from a negative sense. From a negative sense. The, the first one is your intellect. What does it say? He blesses the man who does not walk in the what of the wicked? The counsel of the wicked. Just look in your life and the places you spend your time and ask yourself, where would it be easy to walk in the counsel of the wicked? What is the wicked? That's the question you have to ask, right? What does the Bible define as the wicked? God says, if you're not for me, you're what? Yes. Against me. Okay, so anything that is not for God is against God. And therefore wicked. Okay? So, back that up into your life. Where have you intellectually walked in the counsel of the wicked? Why is that so important? Because it's so easy to walk in the counsel of the wicked, isn't it? From the books we read, to the movies we watch, to the TV shows we watch... And I'm not saying you shouldn't watch them, but what I'm saying is uh, you should do these things with an eye towards the counsel of God. Your intellect. Uh, some, some have said it this way in the past, that every battle is won and lost in the mind before it's lost in your life. And I think there's truth to that. Because everything that passes through the gateway of your thinking gets filtered in there before it comes out in your life. And so the, the first area is your intellect, your thought patterns. Where are your thought patterns being shaped? The gateway to you actually finding the satisfaction that you look for, to being blessed by God begins with your mind and the intellect and walking not in the counsel of the wicked. But then it moves into your behavior. What does it say? Nor stands in the way of sinners. Okay, so first it goes into your thinking 
And then you choose where you're going to plant that flag, right? Where I'm going to stand here because this is what I believe. I'm going to stand there. Where have you chosen to stand? On a political issue? On a social issue? On a biblical issue? Where do you stand? So some of us, we, we stand in places like family, which are good. And we say blood is thicker than water. And we can look all over the place. Some of us have chosen to stand in the progress of our career. Some of us have chosen to stand in the lack of progress of laziness. And, and we make these stands in places because of our thought patterns. And so if we want to change where we stand... We've got to change what we think. Walking in the counsel of the wicked leads to standing in the wrong place. But what happens when I stand in the wrong place for too long? The, the, Bible, the Bible tells us to confront each other when we see each other in sin. Why? It tells us to bear one another's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. Why does it tell us to do that? Why does it tell us to pray for people? Why does it tell you to confront someone and if they don't receive it, take another brother or sister, go to them, this is in Matthew, and uh, both of you confront them, and if that still doesn't work, get the elders of the church involved and go confront them. Why is that so important? Because if you stand in the seat of sinners, stand in the, stand in the seat, that makes sense, stand in the way of sinners, if your behavior becomes like sinners, what happens? You move into that third area of belonging. Because what's happening now? First, I'm walking in the counsel of the wicked. I'm trying it out. And then I'm standing there with them in the way of sinners. My behavior is starting to become like them. But what's that final straw? I belong to it. I belong to it. Sitting in the seat of scoffers. What, what, is, what does that look like? You give me a chair. I want to illustrate this for you. Because there's a little bit of a change that happens in you, right? If I'm walking and you bump into me, what happens? We just kind of go like that. You can't walk. <laughs> All right. If uh, Amy bumps into me, I'm walking. <laughs> Bad illustration. Don't pick somebody bigger than you when you're making an illustration. Alright? But if I bump into somebody on the street and we bump shoulders, what happens? I kind of get moved a little bit, but I can keep walking, right? What happens when I stand here and you bump into me? There's a chance I could fall, right? But what happens when I sit somewhere? I belong there then, don't I? Well, what have I done? What, what that text is teaching that by allowing your intellect to go in the path of the wicked and then standing in their way, what happens you belong there, and what that means is you put all of your weight on the scornful. And the Bible is teaching that once you get to this point, it's very difficult to get out. Uh, sometimes in our culture we wrap these things in terminology like addiction, and those things are very real, and we need serious help. But let's not let's not think that the only addictions out there are drugs, 
or that the only addictions out there are alcohol. Sometimes the addictions that we face is our intellect. And believing that our way is the best way. And believing that uh, we have arrived. And, and there, there's so many avenues you can take that. But each of us have to take this path that the Bible lays out. And ask myself, where am I sitting where have I, what, what does it mean to put all your weight on something? It means to put your faith in it, doesn't it? What I'm doing right now is a picture of faith. When I sat down in this chair, I had no reservations at all that it was going to crumble. When you sat down in that chair that you're sitting in, you had no intentions or belief that it might crumble beneath you. What is that? That's faith. You put your faith in the chair that you could put all of your weight on it and it wasn't going to crumble. Why is that so important in your life? Because if you put all of your weight on something and you stand before God at the end of your life and you're wrong, it's going to crumble. That's why we talk around here that uh, we talk about the truth because even if it hurts, it's true. And you can stake your life on it. You can put all of your weight on it. And so that's what that's what the psalmist is saying, that, that as you move into the presence of God to worship Him, with not just your voice on Sunday, but with your life on Monday through Saturday, this is the path that you have to be paying attention to. Because the first thing that happens there when those things go is what we see in verse 2. That the positive part of that Conversation becomes this. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what's happening here is you can take steps toward complete happiness, or you can take steps toward complete deterioration. That's what the psalmist is saying in the first two verses. You have a choice to make every day of your life, even if you're a Christian, we know that, right? It's the, it's the theological Latin for a simul justus et peccator, right? I'm simultaneously a sinner and I'm simultaneously righteous. That is the gospel. That when uh, Christ went to the cross and down the cross that he uh, made a way for you to be right with God. And that through that, Christ's righteousness could be imputed to you. And that you could live in that reality. Which is what allows you to choose the path of righteousness and not wickedness. That the leading of the Holy Spirit would allow you to walk that way. But but look at this. The delight is in the law of the Lord. The Hebrew word translated blessed at the beginning of verse 1 could also be translated happy. Happy is the man. Some, some of your translations will actually say that. Happy is the man who does these things. The righteous delight in the law of God. They love it. And they study it. What is meditation? Meditation, in my view, is the intellectual ascent of both the heart and mind into the text of Scripture. Reading it. Studying it. Memorizing it. And then living it. Why can I live it? Because I put all of my weight in the truth of the word of God. And by contrast it says the wicked hate it. And insult it. Right? Because what's a scoffer? 
We have them in our world today. Richard Dawkins would be one. Um, somebody asked him. He's a prominent atheist in uh, intellectual circles, in the university circles. And uh, somebody asked him, what, what, this was a student asking him at a forum once, and he said, what should I do when I meet a Christian who believes in creation and believes that Jesus died on the cross, that God came to earth? And he said, you should make fun of him. That's what a scoffer is. A scoffer would look at the truth of the Bible and turn their nose up to it, laugh at it. Um, I've shared with you before that, you know, one of one of our church members told me that uh, they invited somebody to church not too long ago, and they said, well, we don't believe in any of the gods invented yet. That is a scoffer. That all of the truth could be on the table, free for the taking, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. The offer is on the table. You've heard this said, like, what? how could a loving God throw people in hell? He doesn't. They choose to go there. And while we're all running towards hell, God is choosing to save some. None of us are righteous, the Bible says. And so we need Christ to turn our affections that way. And then we get a great... Um, picture here of what a blessed life is. See, because what we almost immediately run to with the blessed life is that I get more money and I get more stuff and I don't have any problems. And that's not at all what happiness is. It's not at all what happiness is as the Bible lays it out. Look at, look at verse number three. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What is that talking about? It's talking about stability. Stability brings joy. That knowing that no matter what your circumstances are, you can have joy in Christ because you know when all is said and done, he will be there. Amen. That you'll stand before him and he'll say, why should I let you into heaven? And what you're going to want to hear is, well, now my good faithful servant. But all you have to say is Christ. Christ. <coughs> but stability. Look, look at what it does here. It says he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Right? If happiness was all about, at all about you getting more stuff and less problems, why would it refer to you not withering? And bearing fruit in your season. Why would it say that? Because what is true in life, and you already know this, is that God never promises that your life will be easy. Or free of problems. There's a whole theology built around that today called the, the prosperity gospel. And it's not true. In fact, God says the opposite. If you want to lead a godly life, you will suffer persecution. Of some sort. It'll be different for all of us, but you will suffer. Amen. Part of your godliness is to suffer somewhere. And so, what does it mean to be happy? It means to be like a tree planted by streams of water. That even when a hurricane comes, my roots hold tight because I have joy in the Lord because I'm being fed by a different stream than the world offers me. Amen. That's what it means 
to be blessed. That I would be feeding my intellect from the truth, the stream of living water, the Word of God. And that because of that, my roots would be solid. That no matter what storm happens above the ground, my roots will hold below the ground because they've been planted in something that is true. That's what it's talking about. Happiness begins with embracing God's law. That a delight would be found in the law of God and it would bring stability and joy. And in all that you do, you will then prosper. That is what leads to blessing. You have a choice in that. And blessing looks different for everybody. Sometimes blessing is an unexpected note. Sometimes blessing is an unexpected check. Sometimes blessing is a trial that you have to go through. And at the end of it, you see that God was faithful. It's not always easy. begins with your thinking, moves into your behavior, and ends where you belong. What's the opposite, though? It says, verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. What is that talking about? Instability. You know what that literally means? That the chaff will be blown away? Worthlessness. If there is a word that I could use to describe those without Christ who use their whole life to search and come up empty. The word is worthless. That when I put all of my weight in my money, when I put all of my weight in the people around me, when I put all of my weight in anything but Christ, it crumbles. It's like a chair without legs. Or if you've seen the illustration with the stool that has like two legs and one of them's broken, <laughs> you sit on it and it falls. That's what it is. It's like chaff that gets blown away. And where does that end? Where does that end? Look at what the look at what the last two verses say. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We may get confused, but God is never confused. Right? God is never confused. Let me go to the negative, and then I'll come back to the good news. What's the negative side of that? The negative side of that is there's coming a day where we'll all stand before God. And give an account, the Bible says, of every idle word, every choice, every action. We'll give an account of that to a holy, all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God, creator of the universe, Lord, judge. We'll give an account. That ought to scare people who are not following Christ to death. It ought to be scary. You see, because in the attributes of God, God is love, the Bible says. 
But the Bible also says that God is holy. So simultaneously, while he's completely loving, he's also completely holy. How do those two work at the same time? I have no idea. And I love that because God's ways are higher than our ways. If they weren't, he wouldn't be God. But where's the good news in that, right? We, we put that on the wall back there. We love God and we share good news. Where's the good news in that? There's great good news in that. Look at this. Look at what it says. You've got to read the text. It says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, but what happens? We're sinners in the what? The congregation of the righteous. The good news is that God is gathering to his son a gift that is a congregation of the righteous. That God is making for himself a holy nation, a royal priesthood, as Peter calls it, for himself. And it's open to all who would come. And he sent his son to provide the way through that gate. But make no mistake, the the gate is narrow. The path is narrow. And there are few who find it. The Bible says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many that find it. So so let let me bring this full circle. Where are you putting your weights? Where are you putting your weights? Where is your intellect, your behavior, and your sense of belonging? Can I, as your pastor, just thank you to put your weight in Jesus? That there is one decision... And all of the shifting sand of life that is at a rock. And it's Jesus Christ. And His Word. And if you put your weight in that, and begin to shape your thinking, your intellect, with the Word of God, it stands up to science, no problem. But let me tell you something. God's not afraid of your questions. It holds up under the weight of science. Because God created science. It holds up under the weight of scoffers because they're like the chaff that blows away. Because in the eyes of God, a minute is but a thousand years. And a thousand years is but a minute. Because the God who stands outside of time is not bothered by the stresses that we have in time. So what I want to do this morning is just pray that the Holy Spirit would allow you to put your weight in Him. Let's pray together.